It's the Atop the Pitbox podcast with your hosts, Zach and Josh. Good evening, fantasy NASCAR race fans. Welcome to the Atop the Pitbox podcast presented by ParadiseExecutiveProperties.com, your Lake of the Ozark vacation experts. On this episode, we are going to talk about last weekend's dirt race at Bristol and look ahead to this weekend's short track race at Martinsville. I have Josh and Nort with me as always. Did you guys do anything fun or exciting this weekend for Easter? Uh, we stuck around the house. It was pretty low key. We Kids had us up at 6 a.m. Easter was done by 7 a.m. And we just kind of hung out the rest of the day. It was quiet. Yeah, and we uh, we did the family thing. So we saw both uh, both grandparents did the Easter at our house in the morning and then hit up the grandparents. And uh, it was a it was a nice Sunday. You had the Masters, one and a half rounds of the Masters, and then, uh, you know, Easter with the family and then the Bristol Dirt Race at night. So it was a, a, a busy sat Sunday, but definitely, uh, definitely fun. How about yourself, Zach? Yeah, a lot of family stuff. Uh, hit up my mom's side for lunch, and then uh, we went to Molly's side uh, late afternoon. So unfortunately, I didn't get to watch much uh, Sunday Masters Golf, uh, but I was able to watch this race mostly live. Shocking as that sounds. Um, but I don't know about you guys, but was it a never ending battle trying to keep your kids from eating every piece of candy they got from the Easter bunny? It was a never ending battle trying to keep myself from not eating all the candy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> I, the, the candy situation, although I will say that I ate a ton of candy at North's house on Thursday for poker. So I, I overdid it. And, uh, definitely didn't uh kind of deterred me from eating some some of my kids candy for sure you did eat a lot of candy it did, was uh gross. did you and jp have a candy eating contest thursday night yes. from the sounds of it yes they couldn't and play poker so they uh ate candy we we both ended up losing <laughs> we ate a lot of candy <laughs> we were eating we were eating uh tootsie flavored tootsie rolls and chocolate uh eggs and I would eat the Tootsie Roll, and then I would, to, like, cleanse the palate, I would go get some chocolate and repeat the process over again to where the point was at the end of the night, I was eating half of the Tootsie, one flavor of the Tootsie Roll so that I could eat the other half and make it last twice as long. It was gross. That's, it was that's terrible. It was disgusting. So, no, I did not eat any much of my kids' uh, Easter candy this year, so. Fair enough. It was gross. <laughs> uh, so before we get too far in, I uh, just want to again thank everybody for listening to the podcast. We we appreciate you guys tuning in and your support each and every week. If you do enjoy the show, please uh, let your friends know. Anybody that does not uh, tune in regularly, make sure that they're checking out the episodes each week. We came to the end of our uh, bracket name winner or bracket name contest on Twitter. And our winner for 2023 is... Kicking the Tires defeated uh, Scooby Doobies. And uh, Kicking the Tires is actually, obviously he's in our league. It's Jerry Jordan underscore KTT on Twitter. And he runs a, he's an editor for kickingthetires.net. So I, I believe he runs that. Go check it out. 
um, NASCAR news, obviously, but congrats to him. He wins nothing except the pride of knowing he had the best team name this year. And got the best team name when no one knew we were going to do this. Next year, yeah. I feel like there might be some some people that submit it just in case we do run this. But And two good names, Scooby, Scooby Dooby. Scooby Doobies. I liked that one. That was a so that was I, good. I think the fans got it right. Those were two. Even though my wife got knocked out in the final four, I uh, I think the the final two were were very deserving. So congratulations. With seventy eight names wow. out of the two hundred and seven entries, so there's already you know a good chunk of the field that had team names. But next year it'll be interesting to see how much more we get. Yeah, all to to win. Like Nort said, absolutely nothing. Yeah. <laughs> it's pride, you know. Last week, we mentioned that we were going to add a new segment, uh, and this was going to be a question of the week. And this one was submitted by Tanner Crosley, who is new NASCAR fan and wanted to have a little bit more clarity around teams and how they work in NASCAR. So, this was one that I struggled with, you know, when I first started, it is very confusing. And uh, Zach, do you want to try and break down, kind of give an overview of what teams are in NASCAR and how they play a role? So there's a so many different ways you can go with this question, but I'm going to try to start with some high level stuff and you chime in whenever you see fit. But in NASCAR, you have teams. The big teams in NASCAR are Hendrick Motorsports. Joe Gibbs Racing, then you have Richard Childress Racing, uh, 2311 Racing, um, you have Colleg Racing, uh, and then you have some smaller teams out there. Uh, hopefully I'm not forgetting anybody big. Um, and those teams ha have multiple cars. And so when it comes to these to just racing in general, it seems like the more cars you have, the more information you're able to, to gather from the cars and testing and all, all of the sim stuff and all the science and all of that information that goes into it. And you can distribute that to the teams. And normally, you know, that helps the teams uh, produce better results at the racetrack. Now, most of the teams have team orders where it's go out race and may the best car win. But once the playoff format got put into place, you are starting to see team orders now because depending on where a guy is, they may need some points to then make the next cutoff round, etc. And so you're now seeing team orders in NASCAR, which I am not a huge fan of, but that's just, uh, where the sport is at today. Uh, but team racing becomes very important, especially come playoff time when you're trying to get drivers into the next next rounds. Uh, and those team orders uh, are more prevalent than they are in the regular season. And the teams can be broken down in a couple different categories. So you have, first, you have the umbrella of the teams that race by manufacturer. So all the Toyotas are kind of on a team, all the Fords are on a team. And then you had the teams break down, like you said, 
the Hendricks, the 2311s, that smaller chunk of the teams will all race those manufacturers. So they're still kind of under that same umbrella. And then you have the individual teams made up of the pit crews and the crew chiefs and stuff themselves. So there's kind of, you could be a, your own, your own car on your own team, but because if you race a Toyota or a Chevy, you're kind of still on that, in that camp with those teams as well. Yeah, that's a good point. I just thought, so I forgot some Ford, Ford teams. You got Penske and you've got Stuart Haas Racing. Those those are two major players too. I'd put them up with Hendrick Motorsports and JGR. Those are the four big powerhouses in NASCAR. But you brought a great point. Uh, you have the manufacturers. You have Ford, Chevy, Toyota. And then, like you said, then you have your Hendricks and all your other teams below that. Now, for example... Under Chevy, you have Colleg Racing, RCR, and Hendrick. Those teams don't necessarily work together every single week, but because they run Chevys, they are privy to some of the Chevrolet simulation uh, technology, as well as some of the information that Chevy gleams from that, and, and that does help those teams uh, week to week in regards to setups and, and et cetera. Uh, the the one time that I can think of where these teams work from a manu- together from a manufacturing standpoint is at your super speedways. So your Daytonas, your Talladegas, and your Atlantas. Uh, we see these teams working together from a manufacturer standpoint, specifically when it comes to pitting. You need a, you need really good pit partners so you can get a, get back on the track and draft and, and not lose as much time. Uh, we've seen Toyotas execute that really well, and Fords right now are the best, in my opinion, in executing that. So those super speedways, your manufacturing partners are very, very important to have a successful race. Yeah, and that was one of the things that for me was really hard to kind of grasp when I first started watching was the the cars that could like, you couldn't just do your own thing. You had to plan because there's so much momentum built up with when those when those cars get together and they get close that if you go into the to the pits by yourself and you try to to race these these lines that have developed you just don't you just don't stand a chance it, there's not a, a chance that you're going to keep up with them and and so you, we've talked about Toyota's wanting to add more cars this is also a reason why they want to so that they can strengthen those those lines and compete with the Chevys and the Fords which obviously outnumber the Toyotas yeah, exactly. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see if if and who Toyota goes after to try to increase the number of teams under the Toyota umbrella, because uh, there's not very many Toyotas in NASCAR, like you pointed out. So the team aspect, it, it's a unique one. And like I said, once these races start getting closer to playoff time, you start to see team orders and trying to get these these cars for each team into the playoffs because each team that makes a playoff or playoffs gets a large amount of money. So all of this is money driven when it comes down to it, but uh, team orders are in NASCAR. It's something that I dislike, but I, I understand that it has to be done from a money standpoint with these teams operating on razor thin profit margins. All right. So hopefully that answered uh, Tanner's question. If you have a question that you want to ask us, whether it is NASCAR related or not, just send us a tweet and uh, let us know 
or email, reach out to us and just uh, ask your question and we might select your uh, your question for question of the week. All right, so now we get to talk about, last year we had, this segment was all about free agency and we every week we were talking about free agency. I think this year it's about appeals because we have, and penalties, because I mean, it is, it's, it's crazy, but we're going to start with the appeals panel and their decision uh, for college racing and Denny Hamlin. So let's start with college racing. So college racing was uh, appealing the Louver penalty that Hendrick Motorsports uh, appealed and won, but in some form or weird form or fashion, Colleague Racing was not able to win their appeal for the same penalty that Hendrick Motorsports uh, won their appeal on. Uh, they did reduce the points penalty from 100 points to 75 points, but the panel upheld the suspensions and monetary fine uh, for the Louver infraction, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, everyone in NASCAR is puzzled by this. Everyone. I'm talking the president of NASCAR, all of the teams, drivers, people in the media. Nobody understands how this panel decided to basically keep all of this in place for colleague racing, yet uh, give Hendrick Motorsports all their points back. Uh, they are going to appeal it. Basically, they can take it to the final appeals officer, which they are going to do. And it's going to be quite interesting to see if that finals appeal officer, which is one person, if if uh, what I've researched is correct, uh, decides uh, because it's not consistent with what happened with Hendrick Motorsports. I mean, what a joke. I mean, it's it is a terrible look and I get it. Their, NASCAR is not the one that made this decision. They wanted it. They wanted the penalties to be upheld because that's what they enforced or that what they gave the teams. But you can't have a lower team that has the same infraction. You can't give them more penalty than the the perceived favorite team. I mean, it's just it's awful. And I know NASCAR, I, I will give them credit. They do try to to fix things when they can. Uh, because even though it is reactionary and they, this stuff should be in place going into this, but they changed that the re review panel will have to give them uh, a summary of their decision of why they, they made that decision. And they put limits on how much they can reduce the penalty. They can't just wipe it away. Say, Hey, you guys committed this infraction, but we're taking the, all the points away. So they did some things that can limit the appeals uh, panel and, and their power that they have, but a little too late in this situation if you're college racing. Yeah, like you said, uh, this is a really bad look for NASCAR. And there's been a lot of questionable things NASCAR has done here in the last couple of years, and it seems to only be getting worse right now. So hopefully they can get that fixed because uh, this penalty – uh, an appeals process was not consistent from Hendrick Motorsports to College Racing, which is really unfortunate because College Racing is a small two-car NASCAR team. Uh, they're trying to expand. Their budgets are tight, and yet you've upheld their penalty and, and suspensions and all that stuff, whereas you have Hendrick Motorsports um, 
who basically was just given a slap on the wrist with their crew chief suspensions uh, and dollar fines and, and giving back all their points. And, and we don't know why really, they never, they never said why, like we will yeah, never know. That's, that's the big question is like you said, these infractions are the same thing. So what did the appeals panel here in Hendrick Motorsports appeal that colleague racings didn't hear or vice versa that caused these results to be completely different. Uh, it, it's again, it's a bad look and it's something that needs to get fixed. Now, in regards to Denny Hamlin, he surprisingly or unsurprisingly lost his appeal for admitting to wrecking Chastain on his podcast. Uh, so everything is staying in place with Denny Hamlin. So the moral of the story there, and we kind of, this will kind of lean into a storyline from, from this past weekend's race at Bristol. Uh, if you wreck someone on pur- purpose, just don't admit it, and uh, you should be in the clear. So we'll see if that is uh, how NASCAR handles it moving forward. Did you listen to uh, Denny Hamlin's reaction podcast? I did not. Um, you should. I'm, it is. I've, I heard it's really, really good, and it kind of outlines the appeals process and uh, everything that happens behind the scenes. So I do need to listen to that. Yeah, he did a really good job of walking you through from his point of view what what took place and how he felt throughout the process because uh, he thought he won. I mean, he thought he nailed the presentation and um, then they get a, a quick little, hey, you guys lost and that was it. So it, it's definitely worth a listen. I would check that out for sure. We talked about Last week, Hendrick got all of their points back. They had the fines and the crew chiefs were suspended. And then randomly, they were two of their cars were pulled after last week's race for R&D and uh, they were hit with another penalty. Yeah, so to give our listeners out there some context here, uh, at the end of every race, NASCAR... uh, takes two cars from the race that did not finish first and second. So this historically has been random, but these now have become much less random. In this case, I think it was very specific on what two cars they decided to take, especially after after the appeals panel sided with Hendrick Motorsports over NASCAR. Uh, But NASCAR ended up docking Hendrick Motorsports, Alex Bowman and Willie Byron, 60 points and five playoff points and suspended their interim crew chiefs two races and fined them each $75,000 for an illegal modification to what they're calling the greenhouse, which I had to look up and figure out what the heck is the greenhouse, but it's they're calling it the center section of the car. Now, I've seen some wiper blade assembly aspects. I've seen the center of the car, so I'm not sure the exact specifics of the greenhouse, but that is where NASCAR deemed uh, something to be modified incorrectly or illegally uh, during the teardown at the R&D Center. Now, I will say that uh, Josh Berry and was it Kyle Larson that won Richmond? I think it was Kyle Larson, yeah. So Hendrick Motorsports finished 1-2. Those cars get through go through a quick type inspection just to make sure there's nothing egregious or very obvious they passed but then they bring willie byron bowman to the r&d center and basically that's where they just take this thing completely apart and that's where they 
uh, found this penalty. I personally think NASCAR picked these two cars on purpose and was trying to find anything and everything they could uh, to fine and reduce points or give them points penalties after the embarrassing loss in the appeals process. Now, that is just my personal opinion. There's a lot of people out there that think this has become less random, uh, and they side with me saying that this was purposely done and NASCAR was going to find something on these cars that were or was illegal. Do you feel that way, Josh, or am I on my own island uh, with some people on social media as well? <laughs> no, I, I don't think that you're you're alone here. Uh, I, I think NASCAR did it on purpose. They didn't care the optics of it. They just wanted to i mean they're they're still short 40 points because they they originally had them at 100 they got them for 60 so hendrick got away with 40 points but yeah there's there's nothing random about that i know that there is there was a comment made by somebody representing nascar that said that it's up to the tournament director the race director to uh determine what cars go back there which caused some confusion because a lot of people thought it was random but mm -hmm. apparently it's uh it's not random and they can just go after whoever they want. So not surprising that you saw all the Hendrick cars go back there, even if it's just uh, out of spite. Yeah. And so if you think about it from this standpoint, um, Danny Hamlin, who's been very outspoken against NASCAR. Uh, critical got, of them right the critical yeah critical uh, yeah. outspoken especially with this new tv contract up for grabs and trying to get more money for these teams who are apparently operating on razor thin profit margins he's been very critical and outspoken against nascar oh hey we're gonna do something we've never done before and and fine you and dock you points for admitting on something aka a podcast that you wrecked someone intentionally so they went after danny hamlet if you remember it was either last year or two years ago. Kevin Harvick was calling out NASCAR for their piece of junk cars. Or it was last year. Piece last of junk year. cars, crappy parts. What happens? They pull his car to our to the R&D center. And, oh, the, the rear trunklet is illegally modified. You will now suffer a points uh, deduction as well as your crew chief is suspended. So it seems like NASCAR is going after teams and or individuals uh, for calling them out or being critical of them in the media, which again, is just a horrible look in my opinion. And, and you can understand why some people have kind of been, are getting fed up with NASCAR and their shenanigans that they're pulling behind the scenes. You're, you're starting to see that you can't take the personalities of these drivers out of NASCAR. NASCAR the part of the reason that, that it's great is that you have rivalries, you have drivers that do get along, don't get along, their personalities. We want to see that as fans. If NASCAR is going to limit people on what they can say because they're afraid that their car will be pulled into the R&D center for retaliation, I think that is a terrible path for NASCAR to go down. And I think it could have unintended consequences for the sport if it doesn't get fixed very soon. And then the last piece of news from the week, uh, Cody Ware was uh, out at the Bristol 
race for personal reasons. And today on Twitter, it was announced why that was. And it's not good. No, it's not good. It's it's a really sad situation. Uh, but Cody Ware was arrested on a felony assault charge uh, and strangulation over the weekend. Uh, he has been indefinitely suspended by NASCAR. So just a real unfortunate situation. Uh, Matt Crafton filled in for him at the Bristol Dirt Race. And I don't know if they've announced who's going to fill in for him moving forward uh, while he gets this uh taken care of or situation resolved but um it's not like where racing has been very fast or or, or will be a, a car to to i guess be in contention or, or threat to win but just a real sad unfortunate situation there it doesn't really have much impact on our fantasy league because he's not on the, the driver list um yeah. but is part of nascar news so all right, let's move on to the race this weekend. So I think I, I have an idea of your opinion of this race, Zach. I'm gonna go on a limb and I'm gonna I'm gonna state my my opinion of the race first. And I first enjoyed the Saturday night heats. I thought that I liked that aspect of of the of the race weekend you had a nice break on saturday got to see a couple couple laps that was good the race on sunday and this is not gonna be a popular opinion but i actually liked the race a lot i thought it was very entertaining i get there's a lot of drivers that didn't like it and came out i mean i saw kyle larson i'm sure you didn't like it jeff gluck didn't like it um the, the the people of Bristol didn't like it because there was like five five people in the stands. Uh, but overall, don't talk, don't talk about that, Josh. Don't bring oh, that up. Yeah. <laughs> so fired up people. Overall, I, as a NASCAR fan, enjoyed the race. Um, now I turn it over to you. Did you enjoy the Bristol Dirt Race? Let's just say that I am on team Jeff Glock. Not surprising. Team everyone besides the 5,000 people that were there at the race uh, who despised it. Uh, so let me dissect this for you. I, I actually thought the race was decent. Uh, the, the cars could pass. There were multiple lanes of racing or multiple grooves. So from a racing aspect, I actually thought this was probably the best Bristol dirt race in the last three years. So out of the last three years, I, I would say this is the best one. With that being said, I've never been a fan of the Bristol dirt race. And I will never be a fan of the Bristol dirt race. I think it's very gimmicky. Uh, to me, it's almost like a circus show. Let's Let's throw these guys out on cars that are not meant to be raced on dirt let's take what to me is the best short track in nascar and let's cover it with a bunch of dirt throw these guys out there and let's see what happens again the racing was good but my beef is you're taking a short track that i think is one of the best off the calendar because you want to make this a circus event 
And two, you're making this a points race, which a majority of these guys don't race dirt at all. Now it's become more popular because they've need to practice. They they've practiced more and, and they're trying to get better at the dirt racing aspect. But my beef is, is they've taken a, a race away from Bristol that to me is the best short track in NASCAR. And that's why I dislike the Bristol dirt race. But what I'm hearing is that you like the race, but you hate it because you're supposed to hate it. That You said I'm you liked sp- the race. You said it was entertaining. Did the you like watching the race? was the best one yet. However, I hope they never race Bristol dirt again. So either either they've got to come up with a better car or a better racing type product there's, for there's the track. 30, how many races? 36 in a in a season? There's 36 yeah. races in a season. I think to have one race on dirt is gives the fans a little variety. You got a couple of short tracks, you got some intermediates, you got some super speedways. You got. I don't want to see dirt every weekend. I don't want to see dirt more than once a year. But I think you have a street race in Chicago. You have a, a Bristol dirt race. These things are going to attract, hopefully, people to watch and to see. And when you see cars sliding around three wide where you have Kyle Busch on the top of the lane with his car going like this, I don't know. To me, it was exciting to watch. And I understand the cars are not built for it. The drivers will like it. I get all that. But if I'm looking at just me, did I sit down and watch the Bristol race and enjoy the race? And I did. Well, you might be in the minority, buddy. TV ratings, <laughs> I know I am, but I, TV I ratings are going to, are going to decide the fate of this because they have not announced anything for next year. And oh, I think no. they're waiting to see what these TV ratings are because as you mentioned, the stands were empty. That place was embarrassingly empty for what you call a different, exciting new type of racing in NASCAR. Uh, I guarantee you, if that race last night was on the concrete at Bristol, the stands are 50% fuller, maybe even 60% fuller, because there might have been 10,000 fans there last night. Uh, Again, if they so, want to do a dirt race once a year, fine, whatever. But I think they need to do it at a true dirt track race or a track such as uh, Harlan. Let's bring the NASCAR boys to Harlan. Uh, <laughs> I'd and, go to and that. Let's, and let's have them create a true dirt car. These NASCAR stock cars are not suited to be on a dirt track. It, it's just I, not suited for it. I'm with you. I agree with all that. But what we have right now is this car in Bristol and I, and if it do, I don't, doesn't sound like it's coming back and I won't, and, and I'll miss it. Like I enjoyed, I, like I said, I like the heats where they, you know, cause they don't do that every week for the qualifying and, and then the actual race. I thought I like seeing them slide around and try to control those cars and the best dirt track driver won. Did you guys see, I know you didn't sit and watch it Thursday night, but, the Kyle Larson uh, late model challenge. Yeah. Where yeah. Larson raced against Jonathan Davenport. Yep. That was dirt racing. So yep. take a look at that. Go find it, Josh, because I agree that last night's race was exciting, but 
it didn't live up to the expectations of a true dirt race and it doesn't live up to the expectations of a Bristol race. So you're caught in the middle of no, you're not putting on a good NASCAR race and no, you're not putting on a good dirt race. It can be entertaining. And I would say the other issue with last night's attendance is probably timing Sunday night, Easter. Uh, I, I heard all the different excuses on Twitter last night, but I don't think it's solely because of dirt, but I do think that the dirt has to go away. And I, I hate to agree with Zach because I try not to, <laughs> but um, I, I, it was a good race. It was fun to watch last night, but it is not something that if you ask me Bristol or Bristol dirt, it's Bristol every single time, even with what we saw there last September. <laughs> yep, yeah. The, I agree. the worst rate Br- Bristol race ever. Hey, um, hopefully the, hopefully the, uh, the teams, you know, figure some stuff out and can make it a better race this fall. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the winner was Christopher Bell, who's a dirt track racer who was battling, uh, Chase Briscoe pretty much the second half of that, that race, which was me and Norton's pick. And yep. so maybe that's, maybe I'm biased because I was, we had a battle going on and, and it was exciting for our drivers. Alex Bowman was not anywhere near. That was a wasted pick, Zach. That was terrible. What are you talking about? He was in the top ten and ten laps to go. He, uh, I, I don't even know what happened. You knew Did when Zach tire or something. Where he was going to finish? Twentieth. He's in the twentieth. So he, he was. <laughs> he was. I think running eighth when he had problems. And I don't even know what happened. I, I just. I just saw him going down pit road, and that was the end of it. Well, he dropped and, to twenty ninth, and I'm pretty sure it's just because you picked him. Probably. <laughs> He's like, I'm, probably. I'm running too high. I'm running too high. Jeez. <laughs> uh, yeah. Are we so, talking about then, Ryan Blaney or Alex Bowman? <laughs> oh. Blaney beat Bowman. Well, let, let, if that tells you anything. Yeah, let's talk about Ryan Blaney, who uh, was at the front for at the end. Maybe the happened? best race he's put together all year. And then what happens? Blaney does what Blaney does. And actually, in his defense, Briscoe came out and admitted that he got into him, made a mistake, spun him out, and is expecting payback uh, for that mistake a, that he made. But seeing Blaney get spun like that, just hilarious how bad luck that guy has. It was it was fun to see him on the front row. I mean, that was that was cool to see. And I, I tweeted that out last night. I was like, Blaney did Blaney things. Got some angry Blaney fans at me. But to be clear, Blaney things does not imply guilt. I'm not saying it's Ryan Blaney's fault. Something bad's going to happen to him, whether it's his fault or not. That's a Blaney thing. <laughs> seems, seems at least toward the end of last year and so far this year. Yeah, he, that guy can just, he can't catch a break. So how long? So he didn't win last year, right? And so when was his last race win? Well, he won the All-Star race last year. Points race that he won. Remember the window net was was off and, and NASCAR said, Oh, everything's fine. Yeah, we'll give it to him. That was the As right that was the all-star have. race. Yeah. Of course. Somehow <laughs> Blaney tries to give away the all-star race <laughs> with the most. Well, actually NAS- NASCAR about took it away from him. And I think that, that that's why they let the uh the whole window <laughs> thing uh safe or the net go. Oh, there's a restart, right? There was a restart. Yeah, it was it was a bad caution. They threw bad a caution. caution. Yeah, it was not good. Speaking, so let's let's figure <laughs> out what to talk about. Yeah, let's figure out Blaney's last win real quick. Um, 
which will then lead us into another black eye for NASCAR over the weekend. So what are, what are your thoughts? They, they, the inconsistencies, oh, the, the caution flags were completely random and not consistent whatsoever. <laughs> the, you, so you're watching the first part of the race and they're throwing a caution every time a car spins out. And then toward the second half of the race, you've got McDowell who did two, three sixties in the middle of traffic. They didn't throw a caution flag. Uh, Denny Hamlin spins, no caution flag. Uh, Chastain spins, no caution flag. And then all of a sudden Kyle Busch spins. Everything's fine. He gets the car righted going down pit road and they, they throw a caution flag, which was toward the end of the race. It's because NASCAR was trying to drum up excitement like they always do and trying to get one last restart. But the cautions were so inconsistent last night. Whoever is in charge of throwing cautions needs fired. Just plain and simple. Whoever it is <laughs> just needs to find a new job. So we had it must just be hard to be an official because because the refs in, in college basketball are, are awful. Uh, the refs throwing this the, the caution flags in this race were terrible. They it it almost got to a point where they were like, all right, we need to end this race. So we're going to just let some of these go. And yeah, you hope that <laughs> that, you know, if you needed a caution, it came out. But, you know, I, it was. I think there was 15, 14 or 15 cautions. I think it was 14. And, and yeah, like 12 was, of them were in the first like 200, yeah. like 200 lap. You know what I mean? Like just crazy. Yeah. And then they, then they forgot how to, throw, forgot how to yeah. throw a caution flag. So do you think, would you have liked to see the race called like the first half or like the second half? Well, you brought up the ba the basketball analogy as a Crane basketball fan who just got their season stolen from them uh, with a very ticky tack foul call at the end of the game. You've got to officiate the race or the game the same the entire time. You cannot all of a sudden change how you're going to officiate something halfway through, in my opinion. Uh, so with the start of the race and the number of cautions that they were throwing, to me, you need to keep doing that to maintain consistency. Now, I understand that the race is going to be extremely long because of the number of caution flags they were throwing there that first half of the race. There's no race flow whatsoever. And you've got 5,000 fans in the stands that are freezing their tails off because they chose to do this race when, when Bristol is not the warmest. So I think NASCAR at that point decided, you know what? let's change how we're doing this. And if a car spins out, we're going to give them about 10 seconds to get going and not throw a caution flag if they do. And that seems to be what, what they did in the second half of the race. Now, did it make the racing more enjoyable? I would say yes, because you could get into a flow and you can get some deeper, deeper runs. Um, well, I guess the moral of the story is, is the, the officiating last night in regards to cautions was very inconsistent. And uh, another uh, questionable call or calls, which is now a long list of questionable things in NASCAR over the last, call it two years. Anything else that we want to bring up about the race? Well, yeah, you got to talk about Ryan Priest and Kyle Larson. I mean, whose side are you uh, on in, in that situation? So, it sounds like this was was Kyle Larson's fault. 
he didn't act like it was his fault, but it it sounds like it was his fault. So I don't really know. I I didn't watch the video. What do you think? I guess let's let's level set this for our listeners. Uh, last night's race, Kyle Larson and Ryan Priest were battling. It was it was toward the beginning of the race, or maybe even toward the middle. But uh, basically, what happened is Kyle Larson was ahead of Priest, and whether his spotter said clear or Kyle Larson just said screw it, I'm I'm bringing this up to the high lane. He essentially cut Priest off, which then forced Priest into the wall. He made some pretty tough, hard contact with the wall. Didn't ruin his day. Didn't break anything. Uh, but it, Ryan Priest was pretty upset. So there's caution came out. He gets next to him. He's waving his hands out the window, basically trying to get his attention, saying, hey, what, what are you doing? At that point, I thought maybe it was over. It was a mistake. Or like I said, Kyle Larson was told clear and he wasn't. I don't know. I don't know the story there, but I figured it was over there. I was wrong you move forward into the race and Ryan Priest and of course Kyle Larson are racing hard at it again and the next thing I know Priest going down it was either the front stretch or back stretch but Kyle Larson was on the outside Priest on the inside and Priest just slams into Larson and puts him into the wall Larson was not having it and going into the next corner Larson, I don't know if Larson came down and door slammed Priest or Priest then again went back up into Larson, but uh, Larson hit the wall pretty hard, spun out, and that ended his day. You listen Priest to the got interviews. Loose, though. Make sure you're clear on this. Yeah. Priest got so, loose. He didn't, he didn't slam him. I was going to say, you listen to the, to the radio, and Priest just basically said, I got loose, or he, yeah, he claimed to have gotten loose, couldn't, couldn't correct his car, and that's what got into Larson. Larson in the interview afterwards basically said, I think that was Priest just taking me out or getting payback for, for that first mistake I made. So the reason why I bring this up, and this is making its way through uh, the social media realm pretty quickly, with, NAS- with what NASCAR did to Denny Hamlin for essentially admitting that he wrecked Chastain on purpose, you listen to ryan priest's radio in the car after larson uh hit the wall spun out and was called out for the race or or his car was done for the day uh he made a two-word statement on the radio that really piqued my interest in that game over is what he said game over so he also said he was not he was tired of lifting and he he was done lifting so to me, you put the pieces of the puzzle together. He wrecked Kyle Larson intentionally. Now, we've seen this in the past. It's, it's NASCAR. Let the drivers handle it. I get that 100%. But this is where NASCAR has put themselves into a very bad box or a gray situation to deem whether a wreck was intentional or not. So knowing that I think it's intentional, I'm very curious to see what NASCAR deems of this situation. But do you think NASCAR is going to step in and do anything? And with all of that presented to you, Josh, do you think it was intentional or not? So just to clarify, Denny Hamlin said on his podcast that NASCAR took intent out of the the rules. So it's not 
what their intent is. It's is if you cause a wreck and manipulate the the race. So it okay. intent is not according to him is not a part of the factor or part of the equation. So I think based on what he said and and the responses afterwards and and as you've outlined priest got him back which typically wouldn't be that big of a story if you you know you have a driver that that gets into another driver and that driver pays him back that's kind of what we're used to in nascar and why this sport is great because you kind of handle it on the track so i don't want to see nascar get involved in this i don't want to see them try to police this over police it i guess it let it let it let it play out on the track let the drivers handle what they need to handle and let the personalities clash let the personalities come out don't limit them i again i think they're 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 looking too short-sightedness they're they're having too much short-sightedness in this because think about if you had all your drivers with podcasts and and they were able to i mean you're just gaining eyes on your sport you're getting attention you know you never know what what they're going to say i mean that that is part of the allure of of nascar so uh i don't want to see them step in and do anything it's a shame that they can't speak their mind and feel like they're you know going to get retaliated at retaliated on um we'll just have to kind of see if they make any adjustments but don't you think nascar has put themselves in a box oh, based they, on they, what absolutely. they've done with denny hamlin yeah, and I think it was a it, it was very obvious what happened yesterday. So to me, it's like if you're going to again, this is going to be NASCAR being inconsistent, which is mm-hmm. the storyline of the last two years in racing. If they don't do anything to Ryan Priest. Yeah, I mean, it's from a consistency standpoint, you're right. I hope that they. They don't do it, though, I, I, I at some point they have to stop and they're not going to just anytime there's a crash. They're going to dock people to playoff points. That's that can't be how the sport is is going to to be ran and, and evolve. That's not that's going backwards. And, and I would agree with that. But again, they, they, NASCAR has put themselves into a box based on the things they've done this season to this point. So it's going to be really interesting to see uh, what they do with Ryan Priest because it's very obvious what happened. You listen to the radio transmissions and what he said to his team. We'll see if NASCAR agrees uh, and, and steps in to to try to rectify that. If not, this is another inconsistent thing that NASCAR has done. And, Either way, NASCAR uh, is going to lose. Yeah, yeah, you're 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 right. They're basically in a lose lose situation. Any other anything else? Kyle Larson being back there for that wreck was because of the weird pit call he made. I don't know if you guys caught that at all. Sure, you both watched it on fast forward. I, I did, they but they didn't take tires. He wanted to keep his tires when after oh, stage two, everyone came in, got tires. He pitted, but he wanted to take, he wanted to keep his old tires and then spun out a few laps into the stage, which put him back with Priest. His day was already done at that point because he spun and there was no caution. So, did he just come and get adjustments? What did he come yeah, to fuel? Okay. Um, right. I mean, clean the windshield. Clean the windshield. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But didn't didn't take tires. It was a very weird call, and we were all pretty interested to see how it was going to play out. He's he's the dirt 
driver, so he must have felt something good with those tires and wanted to keep them on. But we didn't they get showed on the broadcast those those tires didn't wear down. Though even the right rears, like they they were pretty much brand new tires when they changed yeah. them. So maybe he just thought that's why I don't like, think I don't think that was a big deal, but to to have him come down just for gas and a tear off is is an odd call. Like if it was just stay out, yeah, okay, that makes a lot more sense. But um, and the pits, the the pits were were a little, set up a little different because obviously they're on both sides. So they had non competitive pit stops, which was an interesting uh, twist, I guess. I don't do they do they do that all the time at the dirt tracks? So yeah, they did. Track, I, and I thing. forgot to. I forgot to mention that last week, but yeah, it's non-competitive because you don't want these guys going 50, 60 miles an hour down, uh, down pit road, uh, with the situation at hand. So, uh, it's just a way to slow things down, make sure the track is good. Give these guys, cause they don't, they didn't even have their pit crews with them. Uh, it wasn't their normal pit crews that were there pitting the cars. So, uh, just very unique very unique for the Bristol dirt race. It it was it was very uh weird to see the pit crews like just taking their time with the tire. They're like, "Oh, let's just put a tire here." And then the jack guy just kind of like strolling around the, to the other side instead of, you know, the normal racing through trying to do it as quickly as possible. It was just it's a different different look and so just a different another unique thing for the for the uh for the dirt track. So your stage one winner was Kyle Larson, who started off really strong, ended up, you know, not having a great day. But uh, stage two winner was Tyler Reddick, so another dirt track racer. And your winner and most laps led, Christopher Bell with 100 laps led. This is the first time a what you would call a dirt ringer actually won the Bristol Dirt Race. Logano won the inaugural race. Kyle Busch won last year and Christopher Bell won this year. So it's the first time that a true dirt type racer has won the Bristol dirt race. When looking at Jeff Gluck's poll, this kind of helps defend my argument here, at least from this poll standpoint, but 66.5% of fans said, yes, it was a good race. Uh, 61.2% of fans thought it was a good race last year. And both Bristol races last year, though, received less than 65% of yes votes and finished as the ninth and 10th worst races in the poll last year. So I think you've got a combination of uh, these cars on dirt and for whatever reason. Uh, and as I mentioned, hopefully this this these teams having a year under their belt can make Bristol uh, at least on the concrete this fall, a better race, but fans did not like this race last night. And again, I think what that really, or the big storyline is going to be what the TV ratings were since it is a prime time uh, event last night. It's a great time window. And there was really no competition because the masters was already over with. Uh, if these ratings are really good, then I could see maybe NASCAR saying, yeah, let's do this for one more year and see what happens. But if the ratings are really bad, I can see them pulling the plug and, and doing something different. So what I hear you saying is roughly seven out of 10 people agree with me. 
what I'm saying, Josh, is that when you look at this from the poll standpoint, an 80% and higher is a great, good to great race. Anything less than that is not good. Uh, this is not, it was not a good race from a poll standpoint. <laughs> I was just trying so, to make myself feel better. Hey, I, I mean, we, we all agree that it was the most entertaining Bristol dirt race that we've seen in the last three years, but that's not going to change my opinion on, we shouldn't be there to begin with. So fair enough. Fair enough. All right, we now turn to our fantasy recap with our commissioner, Mr. Norton. All right, guys, storyline for Bristol Dirt is high fantasy scores. Uh, your stats for Bristol Dirt, your low score belongs to Mama Falcon with 45 points. High score goes to Josh's daughter, Reagan Rolfus, with 162 points. That is the highest ever at Bristol Dirt, beating last year's score of 127. And your average score is 105, which also breaks the record for the all-time highest average in ATPB history at any track. Our uh, previous record was 103 at Daytona, so Bristol Dirt takes the top spot for highest score. Your top 10 goes to Mark L. Krejci in 10th. Tied for 8th is Kenneth Holloway and Z underscore Spot Motorsports. That's at Mark underscore the underscore Z underscore Spot on Twitter. Tied for 6th is Melly85 and Tammy Colby. 5th place is Adam Studer, number 2. 4th is yours truly, Broken Toe Link. 3rd, dropping out of his first place spot is Zach Dick, number 3. Second place is Robert Riggs, number two, at Robert Riggs one on Twitter. And your top spot is Ron Henriksen, first week in the lead and a rookie. Going into your biggest risers after Bristol, you have Mama Falcon, who we mentioned already, moved up 83 spots from P148 to P65. Ryan Brosh moves up 71 spots from P94 to P23. Taylor Schleich, number two, that's your defending champion, moves up 70 spots from P131 to P61. Your biggest fallers after Bristol, Reagan Rolfus, who came out with a high score, drops 88 spots from P37 to P125. Turtle Sports, at pick underscore pickle Q on Twitter, drops 58 spots from P48 to P106. Mall Motorsports, at Ryan Mall 38, drops 56 spots from P62 to P118. Going into your rookies, your top 10 rookies, 10th place is Nantasy Fast Car in P19, Michael Reller in P17, Forward Together, P13, tied with Sarah's Toyotas and Bowman, also in P13, Nailed It in P11, Kenneth Holloway, tied with Z underscore Spot Motorsports in P8, your third best rookie is Melly85 in P6, and your top two rookies take the first and second spots in Fantasy NASCAR right now. That goes to Robert Riggs, number two, and Ron Henriksen. Your top five fantasy drivers, Christopher Bell, takes the top spot from Alex Bowman with a 9.6 average. Second place is Alex Bowman with 9.9 average. Third, Ross Chastain with a 10.5 average. Fourth is Kevin Harvick with 11.4 average. And fifth place is Kyle Busch with an 11.9 average. Your bottom five fantasy drivers after Bristol, 
26th is A.J. Allmendinger with a 21.6 average. 27th, Harrison Burton. 28th, Ryan Priest. 29th, Noah Gregson. And your worst fantasy driver is Eric Almarola with a 26.1 average. Uh, mentioning overperforming drivers, Ricky Stenhouse is still your top overperformer. He is running as a 16-point driver, valued at 7. And Chase Elliott, again, for obvious reasons, your most underperforming driver, running as a 10-point driver, valued at 20. And that is your fantasy recap after Bristol. So I got to say, I am a lot less uh, excited when I hear two of the hosts in the top 10 and I'm not one of them. <laughs> what's my highest? What's my highest team? Do you know? Well, let's talk about your lowest. They're not in last. No, I, I mean, I don't I don't care Josh, about that team. You're not in last anymore. What am I in? 206th? 204th. Woo! Hey, uh, your top team is moved up to 58. So you're just outside the playoffs. All right. There we go. I will tell All you right. top five feels way better than that. But, you know, yeah. listen, I mean, I, I had my time in the spotlight last year, so I'll let you have it for right now. But I just want to have a, a chance to make the playoffs. That's all I all I was hoping for. And holy Rough cow. For Reagan, though. Jeez. Yeah. And, and she was just asking me about like her team. And I was like, yeah, you're you're kicking everybody's butt like you're the highest one of our family and a rough a rough day for for her team um but holy cow the scores yeah that did not feel like a high point race i was surprised looking at it and looking at the averages until i also looked at the big drivers went out quietly kyle bush kyle larson joey logano you've got Chastain four or five had a bad fantasy day. drivers in the 30s because of, like we mentioned, spinning out, no caution. So they weren't out of the race, but they were out of the race. Yeah. Yeah, I can't believe it's not a super speedway that holds that record. Wild. It was until last night. Can, can you imagine? Back to this. So I called it last week. I said there was going to be a ton of cautions. Can you imagine if NASCAR did throw a caution on every – single car that spun there would have been i'm guessing almost 20 cautions last night i think that's why mm -hmm. the consistency went away they had to at, at some point i think bob pockers tweeted out and said it looks like they're only calling cautions if the car is stopped facing the wrong way yeah. so if you're able to spin out and and even keep it facing the right direction they were keeping it going because mcdowell props to him did it twice and almost finished in the top 10 last night. Those were, that was one of the best saves I've ever seen in NASCAR. Him doing yeah, a 360, cool. cars on both sides of him, behind him, in front of him, and still gets that thing righted and go in the right direction. Just absolutely wild. And so, and then he did it again. Yeah. <laughs> and Jonathan Davenport, I don't know if you guys heard that radio communication, but he's the dirt driver that was in it last night. And didn't end up finishing well, but he spun out at one point and nobody hit him. And on the radio, he said, damn, these guys are good because he thought he was going to get clobbered because in a normal dirt race, somebody's going to hit you. And those guys, they just know how to avoid the wrecks. It's, it's pretty incredible to watch. Let's take a look at our race preview for this weekend's race. And we are headed to Martinsville, Virginia.
Yeah, it's the NOCO 400 at the Martinsville Speedway in Martinsville, Virginia. So I got three Zach's facts for you. Fact number one is at 0.526 miles in length, the Martinsville Speedway is the shortest track on the NASCAR Cup Series circuit because of its small size, tight corners, and unique shape. Described most often as the paperclip, Martinsville offers some of the most exciting and close quarters racing in the sport. Zach's fact number two, this track has one feature that no other track on the schedule has. The straightaways are paved with asphalt and the corners are paved with concrete. This is mostly due to the harsh winter weathers that Virginia has as asphalt is more susceptible to wear and tear than concrete. And I can vouch for this as a driver in Omaha, Nebraska, when they fill these potholes with asphalt, let me tell you, they disappear pretty fast in regards to the asphalt. Uh, so concrete is better than asphalt. Your last Zach fact, Zach's facts of the night, and this is for our boy JP, couldn't not have a fact about hot dogs at Martinsville. Martinsville is and has the most famous hot dog in all of NASCAR. It is a red hot dog, and it is world famous. So I had to throw that in there for our boy JP. So Zach, when we look at Martinsville, what... What are we looking at? What are your expectations for, for the race this weekend? Martinsville spring race was really bad last year, but the fall race was really exciting and solid. Uh, the new short track package is the wild card, uh, but I was pleasantly surprised with how good a race Richmond was. Uh, so with that new track, with that new track package. So hopefully that continues this weekend. Uh, we will see. Uh, I haven't looked at the weather forecast but hopefully it's warmer than the spring race last year because a lot of the teams thought or felt that because of the cold weather, uh, there just wasn't enough grip uh, in the racetrack for these cars to make passes. So hopefully the cold weather does not exist. They can get some warm weather there and, and this race can be exciting. When looking at driver stats uh, at Martinsville, the top five from last year's spring race uh, Willie B won it. Joey Logano finished second. Austin Dillon finished third. Ryan Blaney finished fourth. And Ross Chastain finished fifth. And your top average finishers at Martinsville. Ryan Blaney leads all average finishers at a 9.7. Hamlin is second at a 10.5. Logano is third at 11.5. Brad K is fourth at 12.0. And Kyle Busch rounds out your top five with an average finish of 12.2. All right, it's pick time. And uh, remind me again, who won the race last week? I don't That's remember. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, who was it? Uh, it was, I remember, because it was the guy that I picked, Christopher Bell. So three first place finishes this year. Unbelievable. How many were there last year between the Zero. two? Zero. Zero. All yeah, year. Until the last race when we picked two drivers. Because if we didn't pick two drivers, we wouldn't have had it. We wouldn't have won because my second driver won. So to have three in the first seven weeks is, or whatever, eight weeks, uh, is is pretty nuts. So uh, 
I had Christopher Bell who finished first. Zach's Alex Bowman obviously finished in the 20th, 29th. And uh, we mentioned before Chase Briscoe with a hell of a battle. But uh, at the end got caught up with with Blaney and and fell to fifth. So picks for for this week. I get to go first, fresh off a win. And uh, so I'm going to pick somebody that I haven't picked yet. And somebody who is feeling very confident with himself. Talked about on his podcast today. He's he's this is starting a good run for him. So I'm going with the 11 car of Denny Hamlin. And next up is Nort. Nort and then Zach. All right. I am going to take Joey Logano. Okay. That's the first time you've taken him this year. I. Oh, here we go. I'm going <laughs> to go. Zach surprise. forgot we were doing this again. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a surprise <laughs> every week. <laughs> no, I had I had three drivers wrote down, and I couldn't remember who the heck they were. I I had uh, Hamlin down. He was taken. I had Logano. He was taken. So I was trying to go to my list to see who <laughs> so my who's, third driver so was. So who's the third pick? Christopher Bell. Okay. I'm going to ride the Bell train. I think you're just a happens. week late. That's you're, unfortunate you're for late. Christopher Bell. Yeah, because you you chose Kyle Busch after he won and I picked him, and he finished 14th. Then you picked Willie Byron after he won, and I had picked him, and he finished 32nd. And now you're taking uh, Christopher Bell after I Third time's a him. charm, boys. Third yeah, time is I'm, the charm. I'm sorry if you have Christopher Bell on your fantasy team. He's finishing in the... Uh, the, the high 20s this week he's he's finishing in the top three <laughs> we'll see all right gentlemen any other f- closing thoughts yes and no <laughs> so how we're gonna end every show just <laughs> yes and no <laughs> <laughs> let's let's hope that the martinsville race is more like the fall and not the spring uh because if it's like the spring race last year it's not going to be very entertaining well, for Zach, for you, you know, this week they don't have dirt, so we're already already ahead of last week. I would love if Martinsville got a third race instead of a dirt race at Bristol. I mean, anywhere but Bristol dirt, please. Fair enough. Well, you might please. get your wish, so we'll, we'll see. So, all right, fellas, enjoy the uh, enjoy your week and uh, enjoy the race on Sunday, and we'll talk to you next week. Good night, Sounds guys. good, guys. Enjoy your evenings. The Atop the Pit Box podcast is supported by ParadiseExecutiveProperties.com. Now is a great time to book a trip to Lake of the Ozarks, and Paradise Executive Properties has you covered. They have several modern and fully furnished homes that sleep up to 19 people, so bring your friends and family down to create a memory that will last a lifetime. For more information or to book your reservation today, visit ParadiseExecutiveProperties.com. Yeah. <laughs>